And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad you tuned into the show today. As usual, we'll be on for the next hour here on the PSL, and we're going to be ready to take your calls, comments, and questions. In fact, we already are. If you would like to get a hold of us, I'll tell you how to do that in just a moment. But as a live call-in show, we'll set the parameter that you're welcome to call in about any subject that's on your mind, any spiritual subject in particular. We are coming from a Bible-believing standpoint. We're going to try to answer your question that way. But you don't have to be a believer or a church person to call in. In fact, we would love it if you would, even if you're not. And we promise to treat you with respect, give you a chance to talk and explain what you want, have a conversation, and expect the same from you. And we're going to give you the last word on whatever we talk about. Make sure you understand that we're not here to just simply bait you. Anyway, as, as I've heard on some shows, this is a live call and show. You can reach us at the usual WPSL number 772-340-1590-772-340-1590 and you can also reach us a couple of other ways number the one of the ways is by text message my name is mike schmidt by the way i guess you heard that but as one of the hosts of the show the other host is gary jones we each have a text number they're very similar uh, but that's not even coordinated kind of accidental but anyway <laughs> You can reach me by text at 772-260-6120, and that's good any time, any, any day of the week. You can reach me at that at that number, 772-260-6120, and Gary's number, the same parameters apply, 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. And so we have people that text us during the show. We do our best to answer those during the show or respond in some way if we can. And then, in fact, we have a text uh, this morning to answer. Just saw that come in. And But we also will do that during the week. And you can also reach us by email. We've got an email or two this week. And the email address is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians, one word, at att.net. And um, I usually see those come in. Somehow, the last week or two, I missed one of those come in or so, and I apologize for that, but we did finally catch up to it. Um, they come into their own mailbox, and I thought they would all show up where they should. And, well, Gary, it did show up, but I just didn't see it. So in any event, I do apologize for that. We weren't trying to ignore you. We have no no reason to ignore you. If, if we're going to get on the radio and say, get a hold of us or and say what some people think are controversial things, which we apparently do, Gary. I have no idea. Oh, us say something controversial. Why disagree with me about anything. Well, us say something. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really. But anyway, if we're going to do that kind of thing, we should at least um, be willing to answer emails. So we are or any other comments as best we can. All right. So 772-340-1590 is the number. And, uh, then the two text number 772-260-6120-772-260-6220 are the numbers. I, I'm going to read this text, um, 
and let me think about it because I don't know. I'm reading for this. I'm reading it at exactly while I'm saying it to you. I just glanced over. Good morning. It says, and Jesus laughed. I can't remember hearing about a happy Jesus. Any verses about that? See you later. All right. Well, interesting. Okay. I didn't think about that one. Let me see if I can find bit. it. I know that the scripture says very clearly that Jesus Jesus wept, but the idea of Jesus laughing, I think there are. I'm going to have to do some book because I don't think you can find it under the word laughed. I don't think you would find it under that idea per se. I think from what I remember reading. At, oh, yes, it is. It is. Yes. Uh, now, whether that's the one he's referring to or not, but uh, it occurs uh, in my New King James in three different verses. Okay. It's for, it occurs as laugh and laughter. Uh, and it occurs in Luke 6.21. Let me, let, me, let me pull that up. Well, that may be. I'm, not, I'm saying in reference to Jesus. I could be. Well, this is sermon. Apparently, this is something similar to the sermon. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Okay. okay. Uh, Luke 6:25. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And in James 4:9. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble, you, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, it's several places in the Old Testament. There's looks like about 20 different verses in the Old Testament. I, I can't go through all these well, all at once. Well, I, I, I don't know whether he's referring to the idea that Christians should weep or are allowed to weep or whether he's referring to the fact did is I mean not weep to laugh or whether it is that Jesus laughed per se we don't have a lot of that spelled out we I know we have Jesus wept with yeah. Jesus shed tears at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11 but I'm going to I'm going to uh, do a little bit more research cuz I not, not not even counting the verses that Gary just read, which are telling me that, that laughter is a normal human emotion, that Christians are, in fact, Christians are encouraged to to weep with those who weep and so forth. And well, there's, there's with those who laugh. We're consider, consider it joy. That, that occurs several places, right. I think. And exactly. So uh, let me do a little bit of thinking about that. I guess Gary wants to say more. I'm going to put that one off and see if I can come up with a better a better, more specific response to that. Um, there is this um, there's this ad campaign put out by I think it's the National Council of Churches called He Gets Us, and they're trying to make Jesus as much of a normal human being as they can. There's good and bad in that. Some of the ads are just are just um, to me ridiculous. Um, that's a fancy Greek word, Gary. <laughs> but others have some merit in the sense that yes, Jesus is a man who is tempted in all points, such as we are, yet without sin. But they try to make Jesus a party animal and a man who is constantly worried, things like that. I, I don't know that those things are true at all. But um, 
That's not why you should obey the Lord. It's because he is the Lord. All right. We have a. Is that okay with you to come back to that, Gary? Yeah, that's fine. We'll that's fine. Famous White House correspondent. We'll circle back. The circle back. We'll circle back. Okay. I think that person is circling back for a new job, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, Jerry's on the phone. Gary, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, uh, good morning, Gary. Uh, I was just wondering very briefly, I, I looked up auspice because last week I, I asked about the term auspices, and all my life I assumed it meant uh, parameters, uh, in other words, boundaries. And, and the uh, Webster's Dictionary says uh, a favorable omen for the word auspice. And I, I hope you can understand me. Uh, I'm asking about that term auspices. And you you it, speak of it in a religious sense, how it's used yeah. religiously, Jerry? Just go over, Mike. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Okay. You know, it is interesting because I will tell you that I did not know this, but the dictionary says an auspice is it's a, an archaic word, which means a divine or prophetic token. And so an auspice auspice would be to des, to denote the, or observe, for example, a bird in flight, to divine from that certain thing. So um, auspices then would mean a divine token or a token of goodwill, as it were, perhaps somewhat of a, could be negative. Now, this word is not used very commonly uh, now, but when someone when someone works under the auspices of someone else, we usually mean by that with the help or support of someone else. I think Jerry is correct that this word originally meant that when you went out, if you were going to hold a bat, carry out a battle or decide when to go into battle, you would try to seek some divine token that this was the auspicious, there's the word again, time to begin the battle. Wasn't there a great um, problem with this surrounding the D-Day invasion about the weather and sea conditions? I think that they were supposed to be good on the day that D-Day, when D-Day started. And it turns out that as they launched the invasion, that the weather changed, the sea conditions changed. Now, I, I could be wrong about it. That's what my well, they, 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 history they had a They had a criteria for good weather, what they considered good weather, they would definitely go. A few days before things were to get underway, the weather went real bad. Basically, it only got marginally better, but Eisenhower decided to go anyway. Uh, so it he was... Not, he would be said to, if it failed, they would say, well, he, he didn't have the, the auspices he needed to go or a sign. And it was interesting, unlike other people at the time, Eisenhower wrote a letter basically to be sent should the invasion fail, in which he took the responsibility for it. Uh, so, you know, there's a there are differences between the men then and the men now, basically. Well, Jerry, Jerry taught me something here because I did not know that the original meaning of auspice came from the word augur, A-U-G-U-R, which is auguries in the Bible as part of sorcery or witchcraft or divination. It's to use natural things like cutting open a bird, cutting open a bird, pulling out its liver and throwing the liver on a table and 
However, the lobes of the liver fall. It means this or that. And you take or reading the tea leaves. Tea leaves or palms. These are the art. Well, in particular, would be something that changes. You could throw stones. It would be one way or another way. And that's augury, which is condemned in the Bible to depend upon or use augury and divination. But apparently augury originally, or augur, is the, to observe the flight and feeding of birds to discover omens, whether good or ill, for a particular thing. So if you want to you want to marry someone, you observe an omen. People today do this all the time. They want to attribute it to the Holy Spirit that I had a feeling in my heart or when I went to see this thing. Um, I, I, I told the story on the air before. And, and by the way, the word augur then is comes to, to mean the word auspice or auspices. Now, the way it's used in modern terminology, it just means patronage or Someone, someone, uh, we're doing this under the auspices of the SPCA, meaning that the SPCA approves of our work and all this kind of stuff. Well, is it related to the idea of uh, under the authority of someone? It is. It's under the guidance or authority or with the approval of something. That's how we use it in modern language. That's not how it began. Had this young man who was, in my opinion, and I proved to be unfortunately correct, was drifting away from New Testament Christianity because he was looking for signs and he was looking for the miraculous guidance of the Holy Spirit for his life choices about what he did. So he told me that since he was wondering if God was really real, he said, I was up on this building, uh, uh, like the third floor, they were doing some construction down below and it was a wheelbarrow down there, he said, and had in it uh, a Styrofoam cup facing up in open styrofoam cup in the wheelbarrow. He said he had like a tennis ball he had found. He said, Lord, if God, if you're really real, let this tennis ball go in that cup. He said he dropped the tennis ball off the building, hit the concrete, bounced up and went right in the cup. And this was his auspice or omen that God was real. He said, I would look at the clouds. I said, God, if you're really there. Part those clouds right there, and the clouds just parted, he said. So these are omens that people use to prove or te to test God to see if God's really real or does this or that. Now, I can tell you something about those omens. They didn't prove too well for this fellow <laughs> because he ended up losing his faith anyway because those aren't the kind of signs. The signs of God's existence and his word have already been given through the apostles in the miracles that were done in New Testament times. Right. He already put his notary seal, his stamp of approval, on his word based on those miracles that were already done. These things are written, she, uh, John said in, in John 20, verse 30, that you might believe. These are written that you might believe. He didn't say you're going to keep seeing these miracles down through time, and then you can believe if you want to. Or you're going to see miracles in your life, and then you'll decide to believe. People say those kinds of things, but there's no scriptural basis for that. So be careful of practicing modern-day augury or divination and looking for signs for this or for that. Many ships have sailed under good signs, omens, and had a, fail had a failure. Other events in history have had all the signs pointing against them so to speak, and they succeeded. And you would think people could see this, but of course they don't. What, what's the, what are the, uh, 
auspices for a successful wedding, Gary. You know, people go, well, the bride is beautiful and the weather is nice. They got married. It's such a beautiful day because the weather is so perfect. And therefore, since the weather is perfect, I can tell you what some of the audience is thinking. The people who read the women's magazines and the women's blogs are thinking, since the bride is beautiful, the dress is beautiful, the flowers are beautiful, the weather's nice, this is going to be a successful marriage. <laughs> that might make it a successful wedding. Okay, but okay. you and I both know after being married, plus 50 in your case, just at 50 in my case, that that has nothing at all to do with whether it's going to be a successful wedding or I mean, marriage or not. I was out on Hutchison Island going to a wedding reception and met the uh, the couple whose daughter was getting married now for the third time. And he, he, well, he, he made an observation. He says the the length of the marriage is inversely proportional to how much you spend on the wedding. I said that for many years that <laughs> I've I've seen this with my own eyes, Gary, performing dozens and dozens of ceremonies for people that the, the amount of money that's spent and the attention that the bride is given at the wedding are usually inverse proportional to the success of the marriage. Yeah. And they think that. Open my eyes to this, and it might have been one of our callers, Ken, who pointed this out some a couple of years ago, that in Jewish weddings in the Bible, the emphasis in the wedding is on the groom, not the bride. Of course, because in the Bible marriage, it is the groom, Jesus Christ, who is significant, and the bride, that is the church, although important, is not as significant as the groom. We have it backwards in our modern romantic culture, and does it surprise me that that produces failure? Shouldn't surprise us at all that that produces failure. The entire point of this thing is backwards in our. But anyway, we're getting away from auspices a little bit. I think be careful about taking things that happen in your life as a sign. They don't mean very much. I mean, it's not a sign one way or the other. You know, I almost died. Uh, within a few days before we got married, it was a a Friday night, and I got married the next Thursday. That Friday night before, had I taken my penicillin, which I had been taking for years, had I taken it, I had stopped taking it for a year or two. Had I taken it again, which I intended to take, Gary, I went home sick. Uh, to my Judy dropped me off at where I was living. She went back to the college. My fiance and now my wife. She said, I'll check on you in the morning. I went in to look for my penicillin because I was sick, having had heart problems when I was a kid. Couldn't find it. Went to bed anyway. I get there the next morning. She comes over, wakes me up the next morning, says, did you take your medicine? I said, I couldn't find it. She goes, Mike, it's right here on the counter. This is gonna, this is an omen for the rest of our marriage. <laughs> That's an omen that I can't find things right in front of me. And if she's listening, she'll be laughing. But I couldn't find She said, here, take this. So I took it. Well, Within a few minutes, she went off into the other part of the thing. She was going to go cook me some breakfast because I was sick. And she goes into my place there and starts fixing it. Uh, I got, I started itching. Within a few minutes, I was in anaphylaxis, actual fatal anaphylaxis had I not been treated from a penicillin reaction for the first. She had to rush me because we had no phone. I had one car. I had no phone, no way to get hold of it. She rushed me through that little town to a doctor where they saved my life. I was absolutely unable to breathe. Turning blue. Wow. Was that a sign for our marriage? Now, some people would take that, Gary, as an omen or auspice for the state of our marriage in a few days. 
Is it? I don't think so. I'm thankful that my wife didn't take it that way. But I just throw that out there. And you go, oh, no, no, that's not one. Well, why do you make them up? Why do you make up these omens and signs about other things in your life? You have no authority from God to make these things into signs unless he told you it was a sign. And you'd have to prove that another way. You can't just say, well, God told me something. I mentioned this earlier to you, Gary. I know we're off the subject. Somebody was telling me the other day that they only follow the Holy Spirit in their life for everything. And and my point was, well, let me tell you something. If the only thing you ever do is what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, don't you ever dare change your mind about something. If the Holy Spirit tells you this is the correct teaching in the Bible about this subject, don't you ever dare change your mind. You see about that, because if the Holy Spirit told you something, it's you right. Have no right to change your mind or you need to go around convincing other people and do the same thing. So don't use the Holy Spirit as a cover for your own thinking to defend yourself from criticism. What they're doing is making themselves immune to criticism about their view of things, making themselves immune from refutation of their belief because the Holy Spirit told them that just that's a sign to me. Back off. Don't you dare tell me I'm wrong because the Holy Spirit told me you can't criticize me. You can't criticize my my belief. Well, that's 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 all that's bordering on ungodly to me. That's an interesting, interesting logical approach to it. But it reminds me of a scripture. And there's a hang on. There's the failure of my of my argument. Well, no, it's, let, log- let, it's logical, Gary. That's well, let, let me read the scripture. Right. The scripture's logical, too. But first, John four, one beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false spirits have gone out into the world. John's telling you just because you got it from a spiritual source may not be what you think it is. A spirit there is obviously means a thought or an idea that's out on the wind, something out on the wind. And, you know, you could kill every communist in the world and you'd still have communism because the idea is out there and it's going to come back. But when I compare that to what Paul says in the Galatian letter in one, he says in verse eight, he says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what you have received. We have preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, now we so. So now I say again, anyone who preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And Paul said, and he says this, for, for I do not persuade me, for, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I, I speak to please men? Most of those spirits or ideas are men pleasers. That's and, why we, that's why we have the, those ideas, because they will make us popular or they will do other things. So how do you test the prophets? Well, how, do you, uh, how do you find out what God preached? How do you find out what Paul preached? Do you go to the scripture? So uh, that's how you and the idea. So the idea that you should just if anybody's speaking spiritual thoughts, they're a night. They must be a nice person. You're supposed to leave them alone. They have a right to their belief. They have a right to say whatever they want. And if they sincerely believe it. We translate that they must be right because they have a right to something. They must be right. And John says just the opposite. When you hear an idea or a thought from anybody, you test it in your mind. Oh, that's so skeptical. That's so suspicious. It isn't a matter of suspicion. It is probably does have a little dose of skepticism. I'm simply not going to believe stuff just because I hear it 
or because I like the person that says it, or whatever the case may be. Well, I'm not going to believe it just because if I disagreed, it would make people not like me, because that's not what John says to do here, Gary, is it? Well, about the, the 20 verses in Matthew 23, Jesus really dresses down the scribes and Pharisees. Basically, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. For pretense make long. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. He goes he just goes on after verse, after verse, after verse. He finally in one verse calls them fools. Now, that's pretty blunt. He, 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 didn't, he didn't mince words with them at all. You know, this idea that just because some religious sounding teacher says something and tells you that the Holy Spirit said it to him, you need to be very careful about that. But that's the idea that's being put forth in so much of what's commonly called Christianity in the United States today. And a lot of churches out here, they're all everybody always says, well, the spirit led me to say this today. The spirit led me to say that. The Spirit told me this, the Spirit gave me this, and it just rolls off the lips as if it means nothing. It is blasphemous just to say that your ideas are the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you a very crude example, Gary, why we should test the spirits. This is going to shock people, but I want you to consider, I'm doing it on purpose to show you the absurdity of the idea that because a religious teacher says the Holy Spirit told me this, that I have to sit back and believe it or else I am a wicked person. And secondly, the idea that since a religious person said the Holy Spirit gave it to me, I have to not criticize it. I'm forbidden to criticize it because, after all, the Spirit told them that. So who are you to criticize it? Well, I'll give you an example. You remember David Koresh of the yes. Branch Davidians out yeah. there in Texas? Koresh got this following because he said the Holy Spirit was giving him his teachings, and he eventually claimed to be the Messiah. Well, now, why is that a problem? If he's telling me that the Holy, if you believe the idea that a religious teacher can just tell you the Holy Spirit told them something at breakfast this morning, and you have to go along with it, you can't criticize it because the Holy Spirit told them that, and who are you to criticize the Holy Spirit? Well, he said began to say he was the Messiah. Not only that, but he used the the proverb, the psalm, in speaking of the Messiah, that that God would anoint him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Okay, now you know what David Koresh told them? That that's a true prophecy of the Messiah. You know what he told them through the Holy Spirit? He said that the oil of gladness was. It was the sexual lubrication he experienced when having sex with these certain ones, these certain women in this uh, compound. Uh, and he said, this proves that you're chosen, I'm chosen, because I have the oil of gladness. Can't you see my oil of gladness? Uh, Shocking, huh? Well, I, well, wait, you can't criticize that, Gary, because he said the Holy Spirit gave it to him. Now, what does John mean then when he says, test the spirits, whether it be of God? He says, you compare what this man is saying, supposedly by the Holy Spirit, with what the word actually says. Because the word is the spirit of God speaking. It's not the spirit or the word. The spirit is the word. So when you ignore the word, 
you're ignoring the spirit. And when you go beyond the word, you're going beyond the spirit. That's what you and I believe about. So this is not some theoretical. uh, It's more than just a feel good, theoretical, modern American Christian thing about the Holy Spirit telling me this, the Holy Spirit telling me that. What's the essential logical difference between David Koresh and his perversion of the truth through the using the Holy Spirit and the modern preacher over here is telling you, you got to give a thousand dollars this week because the Holy Spirit told me you have an obligation to do that. I'm just using one or two. The other one preacher was known for years to preach against abortion. He was adamant against the sin of abortion. Well, it turns out his teenage daughter got pregnant and had an abortion. You know what he told his church? This hasn't been that many years ago. He told his spirit, told him it was okay. Holy Spirit spoke to him and said it was okay for her to have an abortion. And the church went along with it, at least most of them, because the Holy Spirit told them to. Gary, this but, is an abomination. But, Mike, what this— I may be too adamant, but it's an abomination. What this boils down to is it's their own thoughts. It's not coming from God, and it's coming from their own mind. it's substituting the Holy Spirit. I want to read you a passage that Isaiah says about what he talked about his people. In Isaiah 65, and beginning in verse 2, he says, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in their own way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Sure, their own thoughts. A people, a people, yeah, he says the result, the, uh, the result of people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. That's what he said about because them. they're using their own thoughts as if they're God's thoughts. And, and so this is what Gary and I believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit working in the world today. He works in the world in a couple of ways. Number one, through his word to change men's hearts as they read and understand and pray for wisdom and understanding it and, with, and couple that with their life experiences. And second, we believe that God can work in the world and do many marvelous things that are against what doctors can do or anybody else. He, through his providence, works out many things. He answers many prayers, no. He answers some prayers, yes. And he answers some prayers, well, just wait. He does answer prayer, which is working through the Holy Spirit, but he does not give people special revelation today about what to wear, how to drive, uh, how much I'm supposed to give, or any other of these things that are said to be your own thoughts. I always ask people, Gary, when you hear this voice in your head, that you think is the Holy Spirit. I want you to start thinking about this. And I say, what do you mean? I said, well, you're hearing these, this voice in your, your head and you're saying, well, God told me this today. God showed, Christ told me this. The Holy Spirit told me that. Well, what does this voice sound like to you? And they stare at me. I said, I think I know what it sounds like if you want to listen to it. What's that? It sounds like your own voice. Or I said, or do you hear Charlton Heston talking in your head? <laughs> Moses. Now, now, Moses. <laughs> yeah, well, now, now, if you hear Charlton Heston's voice in your head, you and I might need to have a different conversation, right? And they kind of shake their head. Yeah, because if you're hearing those kind of voices in your head. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need some other help. But I said, the voice you're hearing in your head that you think is God or the Holy Spirit, it's your own voice telling you what you think. And there's nothing wrong with that. You should listen to what your mind tells you once you've prayed thought about it, read God's word, considered it, and then you make a judgment and you go with what you think is right to do. That's your duty to do that. But don't don't say that's the Holy Spirit telling you that. 
as if God gave you a special revelation to well, invest in this stock or invest in this. If these people have God's voice speaking, they should be reading the stock reports every day and praying that God would show them the right stock to buy or not to buy. And then the Holy Spirit could guide their stock choices. They should go to the casino and let God pick the numbers for them. Some well, people do that, by the way. Isaiah said they were they they walk in their own way that is not good according to their own thoughts. But when we obey our own thoughts and there are times that we should, it has to be based upon what God says in the scripture. In other words, we should be fully aware of what scripture says about moral things, what things are right, what things we've had examples of in the scripture. And then, like you said, after we've after we've understood and read those things and prayed about them, then we make a logical decision in all humility, trying to do what God wants to do and not what we want to do. So in my own life, way back there, I would have a decision to make or choices to make, and I would pray about those choices. I would try to think about what the scriptures say about those choices or my duties or whatever, and then I would have to eventually make a choice about which path to take, whether it was about finances, about where to live, about raising my children, or whatever it might be. I even made many instantaneous choices about what to say, how to use my tongue. Some of those choices were very poor, and they were not according to God's will. I can't blame it on the Holy Spirit and say, well, God told me to say that to you, or God told me to do this with this or move here. The trouble is, God sometimes uh, he did guide me in that. Oh, you don't believe God? Guide? I do. Sometimes I think he sort of guides me by by letting me make foolish choices, suffering the consequences of that, and hoping that I will turn back to him for greater wisdom. And that happens, doesn't it? He, he, it God, God he teaches us. with wisdom, and failure is a part of that process. God tests us and teaches us in different ways. And, so, and, and I've always been of the opinion we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes but basically it's what god is going to teach us he teaches us in different ways he allows us to make mistakes and if we learn from those mistakes we're better for it uh it's been a long road i've been studying the bible now for probably pretty close to 42 years You've been studying it longer than I have, but basically I've learned a lot on the way and a lot, like you say, from my from my failures. There have been a lot of opportunities to do the things that God would have me to do, and I've missed them. And I have to pray that he will help me learn to recognize them, and studying the Bible helps me learn to recognize them. In a lot of ways, the Old Testament shows me what in in a lot of ways, not every way, but in a lot of ways, the Old Testament shows me what the New Testament is trying to make me see in what the New Testament looks like in action. And that's one of the things that I have to have to look and study. I found a lot of people don't study the Old Testament. I think that's a terrible mistake. But that's that's my view. Right. Well, it is it is a mistake, but but they often mis misapply the Old Testament and say that whatever is there is a direct application to us today. And, of course, it is a spiritual, symbolic application to us today. And that is shown by the fact that they bring over to keep some parts of the law that they like, and they leave behind the parts of the old law that they don't like. They're very picky about what they think should be brought over from the Old Testament 
that's another whole issue, though. But, you know, when David, um, David was a man that had the Holy Spirit, but he knew that God was particularly revealing to him at certain times of his life because he was a prophet. Okay, he was actual prophet that the Holy Spirit spoke to, of which Hebrews once says that there was a time when God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but now he speaks unto us through his son, which is another whole part of this, another whole part of this subject. That's almost the opening lines of Hebrews, isn't it? Yes, that's Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Uh, but that wasn't my point. But in Second Samuel, and in the parallel verses here, David wants to bring the ark of God from where it was out, and he wants to bring it to Jerusalem. He was going to build a house for it there, so he thought. So he tries to move the ark, and he moves it in a wrong way. He doesn't use the poles. He moves it the wrong way. Put it on, they put it on an ox cart, and the oxen stumbled. Uzzah reached out his hand, one of the priests, to stop it from falling, and God struck him dead. This made David very angry with God because God struck him dead. The idea was, well, I'm trying to do what God wants. I'm trying to please the Lord. He wants me to move the ark. He might even be able to say, God told me to move the ark. And here you're striking people dead. It became His anger, it says, became aroused because of that. And because, he, went, because he told them how to do it before right, then. But see, that's the thing. David, David being the kind of man who really did have the spirit, he went back and read the law. And it told them how to move the ark with the poles and not touch it. And then David instructed the men, okay, I see now why God did what he did. We weren't obeying God. And so then they moved the ark with the poles, like God said, successfully with great joy. They moved it into Jerusalem. Now, So if you're going to claim to have the spirit of God, what you better do, first of all, is make sure that you're obeying what's written down. That's why 1 Corinthians 14, 34 in the New Testament says, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the words I write unto you are the word of God. So what we have to have there is this first acknowledgement that what is written is the guide. It's the, it is the arbiter of everything else. And so all this other stuff of what you feel and think in your heart is not the arbiter of that. That may be your own mistaken judgments and applications. Keep praying for wisdom. Keep adjusting your behavior according to the written word, and you will gain that wisdom. But we want to start off by feeling the feeling first. I feel like God spoke to me, and then we do what we want to do. I've had people come sit there to discuss a marriage with me, Gary, for marriage counseling, and they will tell me, I, God told me to marry this person. When we were dating, I had a, a feeling, or whether they would say, God spoke to me or God told me to marry this man. And so I did. But now when they're sitting in my office, they want to divorce this man because he's not nice or he's not this or not. They have a whole list of complaints against him. And I've had to actually stop them and just have more lunch and say, I thought you told me that God wanted you to marry this person, that that was God's choice, not your choice. First, you try to take you. Are you trying to take the blame off yourself for marrying this awful kind of man? You know, today you're telling me how awful he is. Well, I've got a good feeling he's probably pretty awful when you married him. <laughs> Didn't bother you then because you said God told you this. Were you just trying to 
Are you trying now to take the blame off yourself for showing poor judgment? Or what are we doing here? If you if you expect me to believe, I'll tell them that God told you to marry this man, which I don't believe that. But if you expect me to believe that, then my advice to you is stay married to him and be quiet. Because God told you to do it. And you would not believe the looks I get, Gary, for saying such a thing as that. I'm trying to make a point. God didn't tell you to marry this man. That was your own imagination. It's okay. It's okay that you did. But now that you did. Now you have to read what the Spirit says through the Word to know how to live with this man. And he needs to be reading what the Spirit says through the Word to know how to live with you. Now, if you want to sit down together and we'll all talk about what the Spirit says as to how you're supposed to act, how he's supposed to act, we can do that. Or you can just depend on what the Spirit tells you. So the Spirit told you one day to marry this man. Now the Spirit tells you to divorce this man. Which one is it? You see what folly that is? Well, I hate to say that. I shouldn't put it that way. A lot of people cannot see the folly in that, Gary, unfortunately. Do you see what I'm yeah, – yeah. what would you say? No, no. I, I can tell you, they weren't expecting me to say – They weren't expecting you to say that. To say, well, God said it, so you got to do it. No, they wanted me to say, well, God said it, isn't that nice? But now you get to do what you want. You did what you – my point was you did what you wanted in the beginning, and now, you, now you're wanting to do what you want to in the end. And that's not acceptable. To, neither one of those is acceptable to God. I don't want to go back and read that passage that you quoted there on First Corinthians 14. And I want to, I want to, I'm going to add some verses to it, the ones above and below it, because I think it makes the point even better, Mike, because of of how it's written. Uh, in First Corinthians, in, yeah, in First Corinthians, better than I can make a point. Well, I'm teasing Gary. First Corinthians 14:36. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things I which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, then let him be ignorant. I think Paul just emphasized verse 37 beautifully in verse 36 and verse 38. It just seems to me that he was making the point. Did the word of God come from you? You know, is it coming from you through the Holy Spirit? Or is it coming from me through the Holy Spirit? Because we got a disagreement about what it is. And Paul is the one who did the miracles. Mike and I agree. I believe I'm speaking for Mike. Mike and I agree with the miracles. When Paul did something and we read about it, it was a miraculous event. I believe that happened. Okay. When Peter raised someone from the dead, I believe that happened. Does it happen today? And the scripture tells me, no, it doesn't. So I go go back to that point. So don't tell me that I don't believe the Bible or I don't believe in the Bible because I don't believe in miracles today. I believe the scripture says they will not happen today. But I believe exactly what happened when the scripture said they did happen. And that we don't, and and we also believe that God works in the world today, but not through specific people that He has selected to be miracle workers, because that work is not necessary. If if the work of miracles is just to heal the sick, then the miracle workers in the Bible did a very poor job of healing the sick. Those miracles were given for signs to believe the word of the people that were doing the miracles as coming from God. That's why they were given. 
Now, today we can pray for God for healing for ourselves and other people. And, of course, God can choose to heal. Sometimes he does. And then he can choose not to heal like he did with Paul. Uh, when Paul prayed three times that this would be removed. The he, thorn in the flesh you're talking the thorn about. The thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, it wasn't removed. And so, but Paul had the Holy Spirit. Why didn't the Spirit give him what he wanted to give him? You see, because it was not the same kind of miracle. If Paul could do miracles to confirm that he was an apostle, he told the Corinthians that I have done the signs of an apostle before you. So he'd already worked miracles for the apostles. He couldn't do the other thing. So be careful. Now, there's a lot of things to discuss here. Like we haven't even uh, discussed, you know, what are these tongues people say they can speak with? Uh, and we can have a whole discussion about that. Something's happening there. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. But so obviously something is happening there in this case. I notice that people don't raise the dead. Like in first in Mark 16, he says these signs will follow those that believe. If you believe that the Holy Spirit was given to all believers and that all the believers could do the miracles and they could pass that gift along. One of the gifts that they passed along was able to raise the dead. There was a preacher out in California, this is probably 25 or 30 years ago, that put forth the word, maybe even sort of a televised event, that he could raise the dead. And he did an example of it. And he mentioned so-and-so was put forth as an example of him raising somebody from the dead. Well, Gary, you don't ever guess what happened. All these people began to ship him corpses who <laughs> believed his report. They believed what this man said. And he finally had to get back on the air and say, please do not send any more dead bodies out here to California <laughs> because the Spirit's not letting me heal these people. I can't do it. He had all these corpses. He couldn't raise them from the dead. Imagine that. But yet he had castigated the ones who said that he could, who doubted his miracles in the first place. Oh, they were unbelievers. They didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. They were this and that and the other. If you know, if you you people who are listening to me believe there's people that can do the miracles, the same miracles the apostles did, then you must have surely met somebody that can raise the dead or can reattach severed limbs. You know anybody that can reattach severed limbs? Heal the blind instantaneously. You know, those would be pretty popular people if they really existed, but they're not there. Okay. The accounts are people getting healed of stomach aches and tumors that nobody can see and this, that, that. Well, I believe God can do all those things. Do I believe he's given specific, specific power to individual people who can raise the dead or reattach the limbs? Well, doctors can't sometimes. Sometimes they can reattach limbs. It's not instantaneous, though. It's a long process. It isn't certain. But is God work? Did God give doctors the powers to know how to reattach limbs? Yes, he did. They still can't raise the dead, though. Not the truly dead. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not like I've been mostly dead all day, kind of dead from Princess Bride. <laughs> they can raise those kind of been mostly dead all day but not the really truly dead uh, but jesus can raise people from the dead who are stinking they're so dead they stink like lazarus and john 11 um, those people are not there so be careful about what you say about these things yes god can do miraculous wonderful things in the world and i use the word miraculous in the sense of being wonderful but that's not how the bible uses that word a miracle is something that is a suspension of natural law 
It is simply the suspension or the bypassing of natural law. Walking on water would be one of those kind of things that could be that they would do. We don't have those people today. We don't need those people today. I guarantee you that if we had those people today, very few people would believe even then. You know, and, and you read this last week, a couple of weeks ago, Gary, on a record, I think it was on the recorded show we did from Luke 16. This man, the rich man, when he had died, went to Hades. And he says, I've got five brothers who are living just like I did, covetous, wicked men, greedy men. He said, ha, go, ha, have Lazarus go back from the dead and speak to him. Because surely, he says, if one would go back from the dead, they would believe and repent. But Abraham say, not so, my son. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If he goes back from the dead, they will not believe him. And what was the implication of they have Moses? And the, what form did they have Moses and the They're prophets? In the written they word. Written word, they can believe or not believe. A miracle there or one come they'll dismiss that one coming back from the dead because they they're unbelievers. So this big brings up the whole subject. So miracles, miracles and signs in the true sense of the word, the way the Bible uses them, as gifts given to specific people to exercise supernatural powers for signs for the people. That has passed away because the word has already been written. And I would refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, and so forth about the passing away of those gifts. Let me ask you a we question. We did a show on this, I believe. Well, ask you a question, Mike. Yeah. If we had those miracles today, do you think they might cause problems? What, what do you have in mind? Well, I was thinking about what they did in, in, in the Corinthians. They were envious of oh, those yeah. who had different gifts. Sure. They all wanted one gift or another or all gifts. They thought that the Holy Spirit – see, this, and this is part of the of – the, I'll use the word delusion. I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but it, it, you, people that get taken in by this whole thing, they think – and it's, in a, it's a good thing. It's a good intention on their part. I'm not putting bad intentions on it at all. They think if I just had – if we all struggle, Gary. We all struggle with knowing what we know and being sure we know what we know. And we think if God would just be clearer about everything, then I would know what I know what I know. But we we wouldn't be. Our minds being human and living in a very uh, ephemeral world, we would and Satan being in this world, we would always have reasons to doubt something. But we think if God would just give me these miracles I wouldn't have to doubt. And yet we see Paul. I'm going to get go aside here. We see Paul in the book of First Thessalonians. He talked about we apostles were perplexed, but not under despair. Now, here was a man who had the Holy Spirit to a greater degree than anybody in probably in ancient times besides Jesus Christ. And what did he say about his own self? I'm perplexed. I don't even know which way to go. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit would answer all those questions. Some things I want to do, things I don't want to do, sometimes I do. He had struggled internally with a lot of things, Romans 7. So the Holy Spirit, miraculously given to you, will not fix the thing that you're really wanting to fix, which is a degree of uncertainty, uh, uncertainty about yourself, uncertainty about your eventual salvation, your motives. It won't fix those problems. Those those are the impetus for faith in God based on what you have seen about God's power, what you have read in his word, what you have experienced. You have faith over the things which you don't know. 
If God were to remove all that stuff we don't know, then there's no need for faith. Well, people wanting to do that. So just struggle through with the uncertainties of life. Keep holding on to the Lord and his word, and he will give you stronger and stronger faith as you go. And it won't be because it's a miracle that you saw. Having having worked in engineering and having had to measure things from time to time and understanding all the uncertainties that go with things that I try to measure, what can give me a incorrect measurement or how do I find out exactly what that value is? I'm beginning to realize why God did things the way he did. Basically, Mike, why does God measure our faith by what he sees in us? Because that is the real measure of our faith. Whether we'll actually do what he says is the real measure, right? To the degree that we will actually do what we understand is his will and what we read is the real absolute measure of our faith. Imperfect that may be. He counts that as faith. And then we keep growing. But you know this as an engineer, and I know enough about science to know that there's never any such thing as an accurate measurement. You would say, well, there are precise measurements, but there's not accurate measurements because, however, every measurement you take has a degree of error. There are more accurate measurements than other measurements. That Some are more accurate than others, but there's always... Plus or minus so many degrees, centimeters or nanometers or whatever it may be. They, they would take human hairs and they like particular, I think, blonde hair in World War II they use, or around that time, and they still do this today. They use human, certain kinds of blonde hair. They measure it. It's very thin. Silver hair like mine is probably as thick as you can get, and I even notice it's thicker in width, not thicker in numer- the number of hairs, but the thicker, and they take this thin blonde hair. They would use it for the sights on bombs and other kind of... In- the crosshairs, the, the optical hair. sights. That's why they call them crosshairs, yeah. because they actually wear hair. And they use it as another scientific instrument because of their thinness and precision. And you, when you do this, whatever the width of that hair is, you have that much of an error possibility in it, right? And if you got a thinner hair, you would just have less, but you'd still have uncertainty. There is not one single certain thing scientifically in this entire world or universe that we live in because there's always a margin of error. Now, in spiritual things, this is also true, given the nature of our minds, which are able to doubt or to believe there's always that margin of error. And people would like to get rid of the margin of error, and they think if they had the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, that would get rid of it. But I can tell you, and Gary pointed this out earlier, he he pointed out correctly from 1 Corinthians, that the church that seemed to have the most doubts was the one that had the most of the Holy Spirit. And the, one, and, Holy Spirit and, and the, the one, most doubt. And the ones that, you know, everything that's good on this earth seems to have a problem aspect with it. And that's exactly the, the problems didn't come from the gift itself, but the problems came from how the people were using it or what they wanted from it. Right. Well, you could say that, well, maybe he gave the gifts to these people because they had the most doubt, which came first, the doubt or the gift. Well, OK, if if the doubts came first, so he gave them the gift. How much did the gift alleviate the doubt? Not that much. Or maybe you say that they got the gifts and because they became dependent, not on the word he was giving them, but on the power that they were exercising. Aren't they great? That 
they were under their faith was undermined. So in either way, so Paul did not alleviate the problem. So Paul had to tell them, "There's a better way, and I'm going to tell you about it." Love, and he also told them that anyone who thinks himself to be spiritual or a prophet of God, that the things that I write unto you are the word of God. So therefore, there is this whole important element of that. That's why Gary and I emphasize this, not because we don't believe in the Holy Spirit or His work but because we know that the eventual outcome will not be any greater for you than if you think you have a gift. So be careful. Let the, let the word of God come into your heart. And I know as I've grown in Christ over the years, and I have a lot, the more I grow in Christ, the, the sometimes the further away I feel because I know more and more of the greatness of God and my own weakness. But now I can make decisions about things with a little more clarity, I will say, than before, because I can go to the scriptures and I know more of them. And I can say, well, this seems to be the course of wisdom here. This seems to be the right course. No, that's not the right way to go. This is the right way to go. And so you begin to get more and more clarity as time goes by. Well, you don't always have that. The beginning. Well, we're running out of time, but I want, I, want, I, want make, I want to make two more points. There is a basic thing that we all should consider when we're looking at the word of God and what we're trying to do in our life. And one of them is in James chapter two. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Jesus talks about, I think it's in Matthew nine, three or three, nine. I forget which when they let the paralytic down for him to, to heal he said, when Jesus saw their faith, he told the paralytic, your, your sins are forgiven. Jesus wanted to see their faith. John, you see it? They actually did something, let their friend down. They actually let their friend, they did something. He could see. Uh, James says, I will show you my faith by my works. This idea of God wanting to see your faith is very important because of this statement that I've quoted before, and I'm going to close the show from, from my point with this john 12 48 he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him the word that i have spoken will judge him in the last day why do you think mike and i both emphasize god's word in what we do because it's god's word in our mind and in our life that enables us to show god our faith and it will be the standard by which we are judged in the last day. That's the bottom line, folks. I can't change that. Well, I appreciate that. I think that's exactly right. Our time is gone today. We appreciate you listening. Appreciate the calls we've had. And we've got a, a text we need to answer. Uh, maybe a couple of them. I may have missed some here. For some reason, my phone isn't responding to text messages, messages audibly anymore. You need to put the rooster crowing back on I know, it. <laughs> I don't hear that. But anyway, let, let me point you. We'll get to those, and we'll come back to those comments, I assure you. But let me give you the website, wearejustchristians.com. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. You can find recordings of these shows going back for several years to listen to as a podcast. You can also find recordings of a, so many sermons for many years of various subjects and various lessons and topics on the website, wearejustchristians.com. You can also, uh, as I mentioned, get this show as a podcast. We'd like to invite you to come and visit with us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. 
meet at 10, 10 o'clock. We're all about 10, 10 this morning for Bible classes for all ages. 11 o'clock for worship, preaching, communion at 11 o'clock. We'd be glad to have you come and be with us then at 7.30 on Wednesday night. Thanks for listening, and God bless you, and tune in again next week. You've been listening to We're Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.